Fellow knowledge seekers, I hope you've had a chance to check out the Waterline podcast on iTunes and your Android app. And if you checked it out, please give it a good rating. It's a wonderful podcast. Water is one of the biggest driving forces of life on Earth. It's been incredibly influential in human history from the time we were hunter-gatherers looking for fresh sources of water to the uh, uh, agricultural revolution and building bigger and bigger cities eventually having plumbing uh, the way that it changed sanitation uh, irrigation and what is the what's the future of water are we going to have enough of this stuff how can we make more clean fresh water i just listened to a very interesting episode alchemy turning milk into water sustainable water management this episode is all about this very candid conversation about water coffee industrial practices sustainable value chain and social responsibilities with uh this man carlos uh galli who Uh, whose job it is to make sure that the biggest food and beverage company in the world is leading a healthy and sustainable lifestyle. Incredibly important stuff. You guys are into science. You guys are into learning, caring about the world, caring about our future. This podcast is for you. Check out the Waterline podcast on iTunes and your Android app. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. A very special episode today. I, uh, I I was able to convince the the surgeon who saved my foot uh, to to um, come on the show and um, and talk about what it's like to be a hero. Thank you for not um, lopping my foot off, uh, Nirav Shah. Oh, you're welcome. And thanks for coming on. <laughs> thanks for coming on the program. Um, what was it? Was it close at any time? Was there like what would have had to have happened for me to lose a foot? As I had a I had a bone infection, right? And well, so do you? Did you talk to the other surgeon that did my initial surgery or anything? I or never talked to him. No. Did you see the original X-rays before there was hardware? And everything? I, I did see those. Yeah. So what did I do to myself? So when you, uh, I guess you were jumping off a, a boulder or something when you I, were... I was hiking. I was like uh, jumping off of one trail trying to like take a shortcut right. <laughs> down to another trail. And so when you landed, it's like the your heel bone got crushed by the weight of your legs. So, you know, a lot of people, uh, this happens to them when they're, you know, jumping off balconies or, you know, like, you know how some people will jump out of a balcony to try to land in a pool and when they miss... And they land on the side. That's that's kind of what happens. And so, uh, so it just crushes the heel bone down, so it can't support your weight anymore. Oh man, I thought I felt pretty stupid. Yeah. Um, Oh, there are dumber ways to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the the pool. I've seen those videos. You see a lot of guys when they're running from the cops. 
they'll they'll jump off of a yeah, off a sure. bridge or something and they'll so that seems reasonable right. to me, though. That's, you know, it depends on your co- measuring... on your lifestyle right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean it's like uh, what are the costs involved right. and everything like that whereas like what i did was just right. like there wasn't a whole lot to gain <laughs> right. I, I wasn't jumping for my freedom <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like i was just like this might be fun right i actually I broke a heel um, when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. I, just a little crack, yeah. ju- drunk, right, um, right. <laughs> jumping off of a houseboat. I was underage drinking. My friend's family owned an, a houseboat business, yeah. and we'd sometimes, when they had a free houseboat, we'd just go out and party on it. And I, um, I jumped off of the the roof of it onto a dock mm-hmm. to like chase after one of my friends for a joke and um and yeah, that didn't I, work out I landed well, and I got up and I was like oh something's wrong <laughs> yeah that's and, usually what happens and uh, <laughs> it felt like a bruise or something mm-hmm. at first and then it just didn't get better right but then so I remember that experience, and I was it was my friend's idea to jump out and take this shortcut as something that he wanted. And anyway, I was worried. I was in much better shape and mm-hmm. um, and good at rock climbing at the time and everything else. And I was more worried about him, so I was like, I'll go down first and mm-hmm. spot you if we're deciding to do this. But I was wearing barefoot running shoes at yeah. the time, and the way the other trail was that I was jumping onto, there's a cliff there, so I couldn't tuck and roll. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting, and I was like, this is going to be tricky because I've got to be taking a lot of the weight on my feet. I almost just kicked off my barefoot running mm-hmm. shoes because I was like, my feet, my instincts are going to tell me I have shoes on right. and I don't have heel support. I wanted to land on the balls of my feet sure. and roll. And, um, and uh, ultimately, after like five minutes of discussing, discussing it, I was like, well, I, I'm at risk of breaking a heel. But uh, I don't know. I might be able to do it. And then I didn't realize I was at How, how far was the fall or the jump? It was like, um, I don't know. Like, in my mind, it was 10 to 12 feet. I want to go back there and, like, measure <laughs> and see exactly how how high are it, would, would you guess you would have to be to do? 10 or 12 feet is about reasonable, yeah. especially depending on how you're landing, what you're landing on. So, it's you know. just pure rock right so 12 feet's reasonable yeah. could have been less could have been more more they say you know if you're if you're falling about 20 feet you have a it's like 20 to 25 feet you have a 50 percent chance of dying really <laughs> from the from the landing so that's even if you're landing on your feet. well no i mean if you like if you oh, fell if you 20 fell feet the, like onto your back onto your or head something. or your back yeah, you have a 50 yeah. percent chance of dying so, oh, so 12 feet, even though it doesn't sound that much, is a significant... I mean, you're going pretty fast by the time you hit the ground, and there's no give. So it's just like hit the ground and stop. It's uh, like running your car into a into a wall at 40 miles an hour. And so, are, are, so what are you seeing a lot of? Because what do you do specifically? I do hip and knee replacement. Oh. And trauma. <laughs> and trauma. Yeah. <laughs> Was I your first Calcadius? No, 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 no. <laughs> no. I, I wouldn't tell you if you were. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. Well, you seemed very confident right. when I first met you. Right. I was like, okay, well, right. this guy, it seems like he knows what he's doing or at least uh, has himself convinced right. enough <laughs> right. that he knows what he's doing. Well, that's what's doing. important, right? And, yeah, so, yeah. No, 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 I'd done a bunch of Calcadius stuff in when I was doing my training. 
in residency. So we've seen all of this. And unfortunately, with calcaneus fractures or heel bone fractures, uh, wound complications and infection are the biggest problem. Because you just don't have much. You don't have any. All you have is skin and bone. There's no muscles. There's and there's a few tendons that run by the area, but so you have nothing to protect that area after we put the metal in there, and so the the skin breaking down, kind of like what happened to you, is is unfortunately more common than we would like. But yeah, that, so so for the listeners, and I uh, probably. Uh, well, I don't know how much people have heard. I, I've talked about it on other things. But sure. anyway, I, I might as well just tell the whole thing. So for the listeners, I, uh, the initial surgery, they kind of cut like a 90-degree angle. So it kind of went down my leg a little bit and then across to my foot. And, and the corner uh, formed this 90-degree angle. And that corner, because of the pressure... Um, my foot was it was enormous and like exploding mm. because of the pressure the the corner ripped open a little bit and there was uh, a hole there that was they were initially uh, my my post-op care they were debating whether to do a skin graft or not mm. or to let it heal naturally and and I was getting post-op care in Wisconsin at the time because both my feet were broke some of my parents right. were helping me out but then insurance wasn't covering things because sure. it was out of state, and so it, and that was a factor too, and and um, and and so so what happened? I'm assuming is just through somehow in like the care of of this hole, it mm-hmm. somehow got infected. Well, well, you know, like we have bacteria everywhere. There's bacteria right. on the table. There's bacteria on our skin, and when the when that hole opens up. And then you can see the metal through it, or you can, you know, probe down and touch the metal that was, you know, after they, when they did the surgery, they made the incision, and then to fix your heel, they put a metal plate uh, and a bunch of screws in there to hold the bone where it needed to be so it could heal in the right place. And how many pieces were, like... Your your bone bone was in, like, four pieces. (laughs) And so, uh, and, you know, what happens is when you, when you... when you land on your heel bone, it kind of explodes like if you uh, drop a water balloon. And you know how it just explodes and the water goes in all directions? Yeah. So, the, so when you land on it, it just, you know, the bone, the, the sides of the bone like are, that are called the cortex, they just explode out. Yeah, I always say that my, like on stage, I say, you know, the one was just cracked a little bit and then I like the other one exploded and, and I was kind of like, in my mind, I was exaggerating a little bit, but 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 it's kind of the truth. (laughs) My heel actually exploded. Uh, so crazy to think about. Right. And so those screws go in there to ho- to put the pieces back together, and most importantly, to hold the the joint up. You know, because there's a between the the first bone in your foot that makes up your ankle and the heel bone, there's a joint there that lets you walk on uneven ground. So you because it shifts back and forth as your foot is on ah. uneven ground. So you want that joint to be as close to back to normal as possible. And then also you don't want, you know, as the heel bone explodes, it gets wider. And then if we don't put that, if we don't get the width back to normal, you won't be able to wear normal shoes again. So those are the two things you're trying to do. You're not trying to make the bone look perfect again, but you're trying to make it so that you can put normal shoes on again. You don't have to wear those weird orthopedic shoes. Mm. And also to get that joint back for you. Um, And and 
it's also it's my understanding that when it when it breaks, there's like kind of stuff in between that right. is then like missing. Right. Basically, like you right. break a candy bar in half if you tried to put it back together. Right. There's a, a little of, flex of yeah chocolate that are all over the place. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so my chocolate was all over the place. <laughs> right. so, so you just so they kind of screwed the bone in where they hoped it would be, and then it would heal. Okay. Right. Then you're like. In orthopedics, we actually, when we put fractures back together, we're not trying to, we're not actually helping the bone heal any faster. All we're doing is trying to help the bone heal in the right place. Your body's doing the healing. We're just putting plates and screws and rods and nails and stuff so that the bone heals in the right orientation with the pieces in the right place. And so that's our goal. Um, I, I, what if I were um, a hunter gatherer and I? Yeah. And oh, I you would be dead. <laughs> They'd leave you behind. <laughs> Just leave me right. behind. And They'd be like, "That guy's no good to us anymore. <laughs> he can't hunt or gather." So what? What would have happened if I would have just been like, "I'm gonna take the take the pain. I'll right. just I don't have health insurance or you know whatever else, and I'm I'm just gonna be in a wheelchair. I'll just try to let it right. heal." You probably would have uh, needed a fusion of your of that joint that I was talking about before at some point. Mm. You would have to fuse. There's three joints that the heel bone makes up. You can fuse those in the future if they get arthritic. Uh, or, uh, but the one thing is you wouldn't have gotten an infection like you yeah. did because you, you know, you don't get an infection or a wound problem if you don't do surgery, right. but you would have had a big problem with wearing regular shoes. You probably would have had pain with walking for the rest of your life. Yeah. You're too young for that. Yeah. Yeah. And so there are certain things we look on on the x-ray after the injury to tell us, Hey, this is not going to do well with no surgery. And this is going to do well if we, like your other heel, you know, your, uh, which you didn't do surgery, which they didn't do surgery on. That one, probably just because there was a little crack, it didn't need surgery, but because the other one was the way it was. Right. So, Do you think, so it was the same, fo- the one that exploded was the same foot that I broke when I was a teenager. Okay. Do you think that that was like, no. No, it, probably it you landed first on that foot. Yeah, and So yeah. you took a brunt, the brunt of the force on that foot. Okay. And then the other one kind of just uh, felt left out, so... It, <laughs> Uh, uh, I heard them. Break. Right, I can imagine. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a weird thing because uh. you hear bones break on TV, but that's like hearing something break. The sound is traveling through the air and right. into your ear from right. the outside. Right. Hearing it, it like travel through your bones right. and up and from inside of your ear. Is it's a, it's really, a different experience, right? It is. It's like a, it's like hearing it like underwater or something like that. Oh, it's so creepy and gross. Um, have you ever broken anything? Uh, I've torn my ACL, and the same thing. You feel that pop, and <sighs> you're just like, even though nobody else can hear it, you feel it because it travels just like you said, travels up the bone through your guts into your into your ears from the inside <laughs> instead of from the outside. Uh, uh. Uh, so how'd you do that? I was playing football in high school. Oh, okay. Nothing as exciting as jumping off a houseboat. Or anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so there was the little wound there, and you know, I I don't even know when it first happened. So all summer, I was I was keeping really good care of it. So it happened in May, and then there's three months, and then I had to get back out on the road mm-hmm. and and working again. And I'm pretty sure that's when it first got infected was actually the the first plane ride that mm-hmm. I took after wow. that. I remember I 
know what happened. Oh, that's what it was. So I flew from Wisconsin to Phoenix to meet up with um, my ex. It's not worth getting into, but uh, <laughs> um, uh, and uh, we we hung out and, and she because she was going to help me like mm. get back and get settled and everything well the problem was that i then had to drive from phoenix to la sure and like at the time it felt like things were coming along like there's some progress and i remember that drive um i i since had to put a lot of pillows under my leg and mm-hmm. foot and stuff when i was driving but that drive i didn't have anything and i wasn't even wearing a shoe or anything else there's still like the swelling and the vibrations from the car were and this was in like september I yeah guess. so um the vibrations from the car were just killing me mm-hmm. and this is like a 10-hour drive or however long it is and then i remember like the couple days after that, I was like, this is an unusual amount right. of swelling, and it's getting pretty painful mm-hmm. again. So I wasn't taking any, like, pain stuff or anything. Like, I didn't even ask for any before I had left. Sure. Um, for, I think, after, like, three, four month, or four weeks after the injury, I didn't really need any pain stuff anymore. It's I pretty mean, good it after that. It was painful, but yeah. I was handling it. Uh, but then after that, I was like, "Oh, this is this is really bad." Right. Like I, and I toughed it out mm-hmm. because I was going back through Wisconsin. So I was like, "Well, I'd rather just keep seeing the guy that mm-hmm. right. I've been seeing." And then he put me on antibiotics, which I guess was um, not strong enough or something, or maybe I wasn't keeping up with it well enough. I probably wasn't taking it as many times as he told me to. A lot of the antibiotics we tell you to take it like four times a day. If you take it three times, it'll probably be okay. Yeah. But just oral antibiotics for a bone infection aren't good enough. That's just what it comes down to. Right. Well, he, I think he was thinking that it was hopefully just, just like a skin infection. Right. It was a skin infection. Right. And so it got in. And it must have been a bone infection, right. which I didn't you know realize until i started getting some fevers in mm-hmm. december and i didn't know what like a, a fever felt like at first too because i was traveling a lot um and it, you know i'm always in hotel rooms and it's the wind uh, this is in minnesota i think was when i had my first one and it's the winter and so i would sometimes like get in late and i'd hmm. crank the heat in the hotel room and so i was like well maybe i just cranked the heat up way too high or something but but this is unusual that i'm just like waking up drenched in sweat like this and so then i told the doctor and he was like you need to get going but here was a frustrating thing was that if and in hindsight i understand and it would have been it wouldn't have made sense for me to stay in wisconsin or whatever Mm -hmm. but if it was considered an emergency they i could have my insurance would have covered if you'd gone to the er and then through the er they admitted you to the hospital and you had surgery that way your insurance would have covered it yeah yeah but if you did it like the way we did it here which is you came to see me in the office then we booked you for surgery your insurance would not have approved surgery up there it's a weird, stupid it's system. It's so crazy yeah. that it's like you need to get back and and get this done because you can, because I mean, what can theoretically happen with a bone infection? Uh, it can get to the point where the bone actually becomes soft and then won't uh, 
then can't support your weight. Uh, it could continue to spread to the bones around it. And then, <laughs> like you mentioned at the at the top, was you could lose your foot. Yeah. So it's good that we took care of it and it got better. And it helps that you're young and you're healthy. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know diabetics or people who smoke or things like people who smoke a lot. I, I smoked for 16 years, right. but I quit a few years right. ago. And so smoking is the worst for this kind of stuff. Even worse than diabetes or... And why is that? Because the nicotine, it so it's the little... It's not the big blood vessels. It's not the really tiny capillaries, but it's the in-between blood vessels that nicotine really makes clamp down. And so it's the ones that are in the ends of your fingers. So if you get an infection, those are the ones... Or if you have a fracture, those are the ones that are the most important and provide most of the blood for your bones to heal. And so the smoking, because it clamps those down decreases the blood flow to the injured sites and so now you can't you're in blood has all the stuff that you need for healing right. and so if there's no blood getting there it's never going to heal yeah well, uh, one million and one reasons to quit smoking right. cigarettes right. everybody please <laughs> it's the best thing i ever did in my life and three four years later whatever it is it's like i can't even believe right. that i used to smoke cigarettes right. uh, i was 16 years chain smoker um so so yeah i mean that that was that so this was incredibly frustrating for me at the time because i was calling insurance and i was like well what are you calling an emergency like i could go into the emergency room with a cold right. if i wanted to and that would be covered by right. insurance but this guy's telling me hey you better hurry up and get back to la before you lose your foot <laughs> right I, that's not an emergency <laughs> so i had to so then i ended up i had to drive from so then i was like th this was a couple days before christmas mm -hmm. and and he was like you have like a month maybe to to get back and get this mm -hmm. done and i almost canceled everything i had all this work around right. christmas time and everything else and and i'd already taken three months in the summer and then i measure it like oh, i'm right. strapped for cash and everything else and um and so what seemed the most sense was to wait until early january cancel some work and then I had to drive then because I, I wasn't planning on – I had my car out on the road and all this stuff was sure. lined up from, you know, going from Cleveland to the next place nearby and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So then I had to drive from Cleveland to L.A. and I had <laughs> such a minimum amount of time to do it. This is just to see the general practitioner. All right to get a referral to that was the other That's frustrating the other thing, thing right? that i was like i need a foot surgery can't i just you guys have a foot surgery right. right can't you just line me up let's schedule the appointment right, right away so that i can get back and be there for mm -hmm. the appointment so then i'm like i'm blocking off a undetermined amount of time mm -hmm. for the surgery i drove the i it was originally when I put in the GPS, it said um, you arrive in like one day, six hours or something <laughs> like that. And I, I had I, – so it was like around 32 hours or something like that. And um, I had 40 hours or something mm -hmm. like that before my appointment. <laughs> and so I had to drive. I slept in a – hotel for like four hours one night got on the road the next day and then it said like next turn in like 1250 <laughs> miles or something 
It was so. Meanwhile, like my foot hurts. I'm worried about my uh, uh, my um, not having your foot. Not having a foot. And then I'm because I, you know, I'm into science and right. everything. I'm reading. I'm listening to an audio book called um, the the brain that changes itself. I believe that's the name of it. I don't even remember. But anyway, they're talking about this this case study of this woman. Um, that had this neurologic issue where she lost her sense of balance in her inner ear. And, um, and so for the listeners, um, it, you have like this sense of – so say you're running toward a, um, a, a bus or something like that, and, and you see it to you, your visual perception, you're seeing a steady state of you running toward a bus, but the visual information coming in from your eyes is really jumping around all over the place, but you have your inner ear is communicating with, um, uh, with the same part of the brain, and it's putting together this visual information with the information coming from your eyeballs, and then you're getting this visual perception, this narrative that you're kind of running in this so right. smooth as your motion. Head, right, as your head bounces up and down, you don't see your, your vision doesn't bounce up and exactly. down. Exactly, and so, and so this woman um, had lost this, inner balance in the inner ear just one day and all of a sudden it was like she was always falling even when she fell on the ground it still felt like she was falling and she her world was just always spinning and they figured out what happened was that she had had some surgery and stuff recently and they were using um this stuff gentamicin uh-huh. on her wounds and there's a very very rare side effect of gentamicin which can knock out this right sense of, are, are you familiar yeah. with this yeah what is it exactly it's called auto autotoxicity or it's just yeah. toxic to your inner ear exactly and yeah. this is the stuff i've been rubbing on my foot <laughs> which meanwhile i like intellectually i know right. i understand the transit and everything else like i'm i'm half asleep i'm driving like this insane 30 right. hour drive and now i'm listening to <laughs> like all of a sudden like i'm half a zombie and i hear this gentamicin and, cream right. and I'm like oh no and now i'm feeling dizzy <laughs> <laughs> And everything. Yeah, you're like, am I falling? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so I make it to LA. I like uh, just in time for my doctor's appointment, and and then uh, then I have to and and getting like the medical records sent around to everybody is a whole other thing. And you got to sign a form for this and a form for that. It's crap. Yeah, I I can't believe because I I saw some. it seems like there's other countries where everything's just on an electrical. Uh, yeah, like, like Iceland like and Sweden are good about that. Yeah, yeah, like everyone has a card that they carry around with them. They give a card to any doctor anywhere, yeah. and they put that card in, and then they have all of the information right there. And that's and, a that's a big topic right now because you know everybody's the government's saying that all doctors have to go to uh, an electronic medical record. Well, that's fine. That's a good thing. But the problem is, like, my electronic medical record may not talk to your GP's electronic medical record. So it's like a Mac and a PC. So, you you know, the program that you use on your Mac doesn't work on your PC. It's the same thing. So then it's almost worthless. So then they got to send us all their paper documents anyway. Uh, And you're like, okay, well, that was a waste of $2 million to put in that electronic (laughs) medical record. But, um, But hopefully one day we'll get there. 
Yeah, well, even even streamlining the insurance pro- because mm-hmm. in in um, in some countries, and I'm just basing this off of uh, limited right. information. I saw a good documentary called "Sick Around the World" years ago. I I can't tell you how uh, it was a PBS thing. I don't know how accurate it was mm-hmm. or whatever. But but my feeling was there was um, some country. Um, ah, shoot, I, I don't remember. Is I think it's somewhere in Asia or something where they had. Their system, they just built it from scratch, and they just scrapped everything and started over. And their system was someone goes in, they give the doctor their card or whatever, and the doctor just performs whatever procedure is appropriate. And then and the government pays that, but then the government then goes and collects from the insurance yeah. Um, after that. So it might take a while for the government to get their money from the insurance or there's those days right. of process and approval and everything else, but there's no waiting for an approval. Right. It just happens right then and then we'll sort out the billing after right. the fact. Right. And which would have been nice. So I, I went to the general practitioner who then um, referred me right. to uh, the Center of Orthopedic Specialists here. And I, do you want me saying the name? No, I don't care. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I don't. We're yeah. not saying anything. Right, exactly. You guys saved my foot. Right. I'm very happy about it. <laughs> uh, and and um, and then I came here and I had a consultation with a different doctor who I'm not remembering his name. And then um, they want and he's like, we got to get this done immediately. Right. right. And you had an opening. Right. And um, and so. So, yeah, but the, from from the time that I found out that I needed a second surgery to the time that I actually got a surgery was almost a month. Right. It's and, it's kind of ridiculous. There are. And every insurance is different. Some insurances don't require you to go to your, you know, primary care doctor before you go to the specialist, and some do. And it's impossible to know when you, I mean, they don't tell you that. I mean, unless you read the, you know, 150-page book that they send you with each insurance plan, there's no way for you, you know, it's just not reasonable for you to know every little coverage detail. And it's, it's, they do that on purpose, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know. But what can you do? Yeah. At least we got it taken care of. Yeah, we got right. it taken care. I mean, whatever. I, I'm right. happy that, <laughs> that I have a, a foot and I had a good doctor doing it and everything. How? So, um, first off, how did you get into? Uh, the, was this something like a childhood thing? Were you really good at the game operation? <laughs> and, and uh, well, growing up, my parents were both doctors, and. Uh, I knew that, and I had friends who had wealthy parents. Where are you from? I grew up in the Inland Empire, so like um, about an hour east of L.A. If you take the 10 freeway, just an hour east of L.A. straight, right around there, so around Ranch Cucamonga, Ontario area. And uh, You had friends with wealthy parents? Yeah, but their parents were not, they were in, they had businesses or were CEOs of something or another, and they were always gone, and these kids never saw their parents. So we were never as wealthy as them, but we had a decent, you know, upbringing. We were, you know, upper middle class or whatever. And I was like, but I see my dad every day. I see my mom every day. They're never traveling on business. They're never, uh, you know, maybe occasionally my dad had some late surgery that he had to do. So then he wouldn't come home for dinner. But other than that, I always felt like my parents were around. And so I was like, man, this is a living, this is a field where I can, this was before I understood what the field was. But then as I was growing up, I could say, you know, medicine is a field where I can make a decent living 
and I can see my family and I don't have to worry about my kids being all screwed up because they had no parents around. And so, uh, but then as I got further into it and I started getting into sports and stuff, I'm like, man, I like to do things with, you know, people who are relatively healthy athletes and then I can fix you as opposed to giving you a pill and being like, hey, your blood pressure's high, which you didn't even know and you didn't care, but here's a pill that you got to take every day and we'll hope that you listen to me and then you get better. And so I'd rather do something where I can get in there I can say, listen, I can fix you and then you can go about your business and be a happy guy. You know? Yeah, that's amazing. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing to hear <laughs> someone that was uh, thinking that far ahead. I mean, I talk with a lot of very yeah. intelligent academics and everything. It's just like, it's a totally different mindset than what my mindset was, <laughs> I, which is why I became a comedian, I guess. <laughs> right. But when, when I was younger, <laughs> like, uh, so... So how old were you when you were thinking, hey, my parents have good jobs and this is a reasonable and I could stay. You're already thinking about your future family right. when you're like, what, 14, 14 years 15, old? 16 years old, maybe, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, right. So you were, you were living a bit more of a straight-laced Maybe, maybe that's, an, that's a pathology in its own way, right? <laughs> I was, yeah, <laughs> perhaps. So. Uh, so so then so what was the path then that you so i was in you know kind of i was in high school so then i said all right so you gotta obviously go going to college or whatever so we went to college four years and four years of medical school where did you go to college columbia in new york oh wow so and you did very well in high school i did okay in high school okay. yeah and then i did okay in college and so then i ended up at usc for med school and what was the first four years in college what were you i did bio, biomechanical engineering Oh, okay. So, so kind of, and I knew I wanted to do orthopedic surgery, which is a lot of biomechanics or a lot of mechanic. Essentially, we're we you I mean we use the same tools that the general contractor that's coming to your house to build your new cabinets does. I use power drills, I use saws, I use they're just much more expensive. I use hammers, screws, you know, uh, all the same stuff. Yeah. So, so, what are you learning in a bio? Uh, so, you biomechanical engineering. What we do is we take like, you know, like your knee. And we calculate the force going through the inside of your knee versus the outside of the knee every time you take a step, every time you go up and down stairs. So when your doctor or somebody tells you, hey, you know, every time you go up and down stairs, it's like putting six times your body weight through your knee, that's how they figure it out. They mathematically model the knee as it's going through. It's, a, it's really boring and terrible. Believe me. No, I, well, that's kind of, I mean, knees uh, are a big thing. And right. So we do knees, we do hips. You know, they have different guys who do like, um, they'll literally model the air mathematically as it goes down your, uh, down your windpipe into your lungs. And they model the flow of the air and all that kind of stuff. So we learn all, learn how to, how to think about those basic things that we don't we take for granted every day in a more mathematic way so you can kind of so then you make a model and then you can tweak that model for disease states like smokers or copd or whatever and see how that changes so then potentially you could make either artificial things or ways to treat it um and then um so yeah i did that four years then medical school at usc for four years uh, and what's the beginning of medical school like? Is it just very... It's just like college, you know, because you take, you go to, you wake up in the morning, you go to class at 8 a.m. It's less like college, actually, more like high school. You go to class at 8, you're done at 4 or 5, 
And that's two years. There's two years, it's just classroom stuff. You do a little bit of, you know, you go shadow a doctor here and there and kind of meet some patients and kind of understand how to, how to do a medical interview, how to take a history and those kinds of things. Um, and then the second two years is somewhere in between, uh, it's, it's a step, it's like an internship. It's not like, it's like a, it's like a corporate internship where you don't have any real responsibility, but you're doing all the things that a, a resident would do. And a resident is a physician who's graduated from medical school, but has to do training in the field that they want to do. So, and every field is a little bit different. It's somewhere between three, three years for like, a. Uh, maybe some ER doctors, some ER programs are three years, like internal medicine is three years, up to like seven years for some, like plastic surgery can be seven years. Okay. Um, and so my residency was was five years. And then I did a f- additional fellowship year uh, for training specifically in hip and knee replacement for another year after that. So, uh, and then, then you go into practice and that's okay. when you see people like us, right? And how long have you been in practice? Uh, seven months here in California. Oh, awesome! All right, um, so. very cool. Uh, so, so what are you seeing a lot of? With the, are you doing a lot of hip and knee replacement I do, stuff? I do. I do. Probably like somewhere around six to ten a month, uh, and then, but I, you know, I I take call at the various hospitals, so I see a lot. Like one of the hospitals in in Thousand Oaks is a quote-unquote trauma hospital so when somebody gets into a motorcycle accident or something like that they'll show up there so i do that you know a couple wednesdays ago a guy came in you know broke his femur or his thigh bone both wrists his pelvis so we started at 8 p.m fixed his femur fixed his ri- fixed one wrist put the other one in a cast by 3 a.m we were all going home so yeah <laughs> It's, but that's the fun. whole day fixing yeah. up. Uh, One guy, yeah, because he got he was on, you know, he got hit, but he got sideswiped by a car at forty miles an hour. Motorcycle guy always loses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and so, so that was a fun one for you. Yeah, uh, it would been more fun if it was eight a.m. to three p.m. instead of eight p.m. to three a.m. But whatever. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so how when you first started the. Um, medical school and everything you had no aversion to blood or broken not really or anything like that i think you just kind of it was our it was already in my head that that's what i wanted to do so it's part of the deal surgery the you know you know the way surgery works is the re part of the reason why you know if you watch tv you see these surgeons where you only see like a little section of the body you know they have everything else is draped off one is to keep it clean and sterile, but the other is so that you can concentrate on the part of the body you're working on. And sometimes, it, just for that time in the surgery, you've you now this is just a hip or it's just a knee. It's misses so and so for the other 22 hours of that day and forever after and before. But for that two hours, you're just concentrating on that one body part so that you can be focused. And then you know this, the blood and stuff is just part of it. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of the knee and hip stuff is it um older people or usually you know it depends on what you call older you know but anybody who has arthritis you know they can be 40 years old or they could be 90 years old just depends on when they got it and how active they are 
but yeah, most mostly older people. So, it, it, as far as because I I hear um like I was doing CrossFit and stuff mm-hmm. at the time and and I I sometimes hear warnings about you know doing like box jumps too many box jump things or too much running. Um, I say do what you want to do. Yeah. Why don't worry about. 20 years from now don't do a box jump because you're worried 20 years from now i'll have arthritis right you know it's people we don't we don't we have an idea that some certain activities do increase your chance of getting arthritis but those you know those things are like playing football playing you know professional football or hockey or something where you're really beating on your body constantly but to go to crossfit for an hour three or four times a week or even seven times a week whatever yeah, I mean, you're especially probably, compared yeah. to just sitting around on the couch. And chain smoking, right. You're going so, to right. cause yourself right. a lot more right. um, uh, problems. Uh, um, that's interesting. So what uh, what do you do about arthritis then, surgically? We actually cut it out. We So you... So what what is arthritis? Like, what's it look like on a bone? So every, you know, like when you eat a chicken wing or something like that, you know, at the end, there's the gristle Mm -hmm. that it's at the end. That's cartilage. Okay. It's attached to the end of each, every bone that's inside a joint in every animal's body, most animals' bodies. So what ends up happening is we get older as we, as we use our joints more and more, that cartilage wears out. And so then it it's supposed to act as a shock absorber between the bones touching each other. And as the as it wears out, those bones are hitting up against each other and it causes pain. So what we do is we actually cut little if for a knee, we'll actually cut little slivers of the bone off the ends of both sides of your shin bone and your thigh bone. And then what we do is we actually put metal caps on the end of each one. So it's for a knee, for even though cushion, we kind of yeah, and then we put a piece of plastic in between, I and see. so theoretically, it re, it sort of recreates the the cartilage and keeps the bones apart and relieves the pain. You know, it's people what we're trying to do with that is just relieve pain. People have pain with walking, going up and down stairs, to the point where like you know some of my patients come in and say, oh yeah, I wanted to go out to dinner with my you know my buddies, but I couldn't because I was worried that my knee would hurt too much afterwards, so I just stay at home now. And so that's what we're trying to fix. And so um, it works pretty well. Um, works really well, actually. But uh, It's probably advancing pretty quickly as well, right? Like uh, we were talking about, um, you know, not doing box jumps now because of what my knees might be like right. 30 years from now or something like that. Well, I mean, what's, what's right. the field going to be like in 30 exactly. years? Exactly. I might have done myself a favor because now I got these sweet robot knees. <laughs> right. Which, I mean, that's what I was hoping. I, I was hoping I was going to get a Terminator put right, out of well, a whole ordeal. Well, we can still make that happen. There. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I, I will tell you, um, and, uh, um, you know what, first, before I do that, um, what do you think that there are going to be a lot of, like, exciting advances coming up? Or is there, like, like what's the difference between, like, cutting edge experimental stuff that's happening right. and what is like this is what everyone's doing i think right now for like for what i do hip and knee replacement it's actually trying to create a paradigm shift from away from replacing what has gone bad to 
regrowing what has gone bad. Mm. So the thought of stem cells or tissue engineering where in a lab somewhere they're making fake cartilage or artificial cartilage and, and then we inject it into your knee and it takes to the bone and now it replaces the stuff that's gone bad. Right. That's that's where pe- where patients want to see it go cuz especially a knee replacement it you don't you don't have a normal knee anymore. It's yeah. a different knee. It feels different. It it doesn't hurt, but it definitely feels a little bit different than what your what you, your knee or my knee feels like. Right. So if we could do that, it'd be great for the patients. It'd be terrible for me because I'd have nothing to do. But uh, um, yeah, that, that's there where there will still be things, motorcycles around. There will still be motorcycles <laughs> around. As long as people still do stupid things, I'll have a job. <laughs> so, like, jump from one trail to another, right? <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, that's interesting because I wanted to. Um, speaking of getting terminator parts i was kind of like oh it's cool i have a plate and all these screws in my foot and then as things became healing or or started healing and and kind of became looking toward okay i'm gonna actually have to start putting weight on this right i I was like oh this doesn't feel very good (laughs) like i could feel the plate right in there and i could feel it kind of rubbing against whatever is in there or right. if it's I like don't the know, tendons, tendons as you or, move your foot the tendons move back and forth over that plate yeah that, you can I feel that sometimes that, and it was definitely i don't know if i would say painful i don't even trust my memory of it at mm-hmm. this point but it was definitely uncomfortable right and it was definitely felt like a limited range of motion at the right. time which could have been other things happening to limiting my yeah, range but it, of motion that's just it's tough with the with the plate in there so so the plate um got infected basically right bacteria loves metal so uh, it loves to grow on the metal for whatever reason maybe it's because of the way the the molecular structure of metal is with the electrons all floating around maybe the bacteria like that who knows but they love to attach themselves to metal and then grow on metal so whether it's metal that's and then so that's why when the metal is exposed to the to the environment in our minds by definite by definition it's infected because if there's one bacteria that can find a piece of metal that's inside your body it will grow on it because if you think about it this is a metal plate which has some sort of whatever it is substrate that the bacteria like and then bathed around it is all your it's a dark moist environment with your blood which is the ideal growth medium for bacteria so they're you they're feeding off your blood to grow on top of this substrate that they like which is the metal and so that that's just a that's why anytime you have an uh, exposed metal that's on part inside your body it's infected and it will get infected so jeez and so so it gets the metal gets infected and then then it goes screws into my bone and then it goes into the bone right um from there and so what did you do then when you when you went in so what i did is i i went in i took out all the screws i took the plate off the bone and then the screw holes that were going into the bone take a little tool and actually scrape the inside of those and to take any junk that we could see out of there is that like that that feels like nails on a chalkboard it kind of sounds like that (laughs) Uh, 
it sounds like you're scraping a like a spoon against a, a rock, you know. Uh. And so, um, and then we just wash it with um, with like ten liters of clean fluid, and then we put that wound vac on, which is a. Which well, is a, first you did the wet to, wet to dry. Dryness. Yeah, those stink. Right? Which was. I, that's something they invented in the, in the old west uh, <laughs> like a couple hundred years ago or right. something. So because you also cut out a lot of tissue right. around, which I I thought back back when I originally got the hole in my foot, I thought that was a big foothole. Right. It turns out I had no idea right. what a yeah. big foothole actually <laughs> right. looks like. And for how long? I mean, you could look at the bottom of the hole in your foot and you could see your bone. Oh, yeah. yeah. And um, and then and they booted me right out of the hospital right. and just sent I me know. off on my own to do know, the that, what to drive back. Or yeah. What to drive wound care stuff too, which I thought I was going to like at least get like a week in there to be like, okay, I think I'm able right. to ma- and then and then they're gonna put the wound back on right. and then manage that. But I had to do my own dress I, and I don't have a stomach for much things <laughs> either. Good, so I'm, you did a pretty good job. Yeah, I ended up I mean, it's amazing what you'll do when you have to do right. it. But uh, but it was I would literally have to be like all right don't don't pass out right now don't <laughs> please don't pass out and um, and I also think it, the the funny thing was was there was no consensus on exactly how to do it because my nurse was just packing in gauze right. and my whole like yeah. as hard as she possibly could so then I was doing that to myself right. too because that's what she taught me to do and uh yeah so that was an incredibly painful process but the the thinking is is that you get this gauze wet and then whatever infection is inside as the gauze dries it's it's hopefully taking with it it's sucking out the infection with it the the bacteria likes the moisture and so it's kind of following it and then also any of the the tissue that is because a lot of that tissue that's superficial is what's infected, so the gauze will stick to that, and as you pull it out, that's why it hurts, is it takes some of that bad stuff with it. Mm. And the idea is it's all a dilution principle. That's why you have to do it three times a day, because you want to put in something clean, take it out, put in something, take out the dirty stuff, put in clean stuff, so that you're constantly removing the dirt and putting in clean. Mm. And uh, and the reason we can't do the wound vac right away is because you can't put it on an active infection. It has wow. to it has to resolve a little bit, and that's why the wound vac's not that much better. I bet you the wound vac changes were pretty painful too. Yeah, well, it was not near as often. That right. was that was once every two or three days rather right. than three times a day. But yeah, those those were those were painful as well, and also lugging around. The, yeah, it was it was uncomfortable having it on my foot because if it would have been on my leg or something like that it would have been a little easier to manage because the hose was always right. like I was always like tripping over the mm-hmm. hose and everything so so the wound vac is um, uh, for uh, do you want to just explain yeah. what the wound vac is for people sure it's it's what it does is it you put a little sponge in the in the wound and then there's a hose that connects to it that's connected to a essentially a, a suction device and it creates continuous negative pressure in the wound so it's constantly sucking out so it's essentially trying to do what the wet to dry is doing 
except it's doing it constantly instead of three times a day when you're changing the dressing. Um, it's really revolutionized wound care. It's, it's like made wounds heal up to seven to 10 days faster than they would the other way. And so, um, and it's, it's a, it's a great device, but it is a, it is really a pain for, for you as a patient to carry around. You got this hose that's running, you got this thing that's, I mean, it's got a little canister on it that's sucking up all that (laughs) juice. And so you can just see it there. I mean, it has to, so you got to get creative ways to hide it and things like that. So that's so funny because I've been calling it foot juice. Right. And I, again, I just thought I was just like being funny and saying that it was foot juice. Nope, that's what doctors call it. That's just what I call it. I don't think, a, I don't think you'd it's find that in a textbook. Right? No. Um, it, it was such a ridiculous thing. And and then the, the IV antibiotics right. were a pain too. I mean, that I understood. It's like, you're not going to keep someone in the hospital for six weeks to do this. But it was very um, challenging. Mm-hmm. When they put the pick arm in in my left bicep, well, now I can't use my left hand right. to get to a thing that I need to screw right. and twist. So I'm like having to do this right, like with one hand. I'm right. surprised they don't have some sort of easier yeah. way. Well, of, the thing is that you got to leave this catheter in for six weeks. And you don't want it to get infected, so they try to put it in places where it won't be, won't have too much chance of being in like a sweaty location or whatever. Because you're right, it'd be much easier to do it like here, so you have both your arm, you know, in your chest, so you have both your arms. Right. But you don't want to. They do that for cancer patients and stuff. They when they're getting chemo, they put ports right under the skin and the chest, but. You don't want that for the IV. You don't want to get stuck with a needle every time. At least it was an IV. Right, right. So. Yeah, I guess that. But I'm just surprised they haven't. I don't know some sort of device for screwing right. it on with one hand or right. something. It was like, it, I, I mean, a lot of times as I was doing that, as I was doing the home care, the it's like the IV thing, and I was like, okay, I can see people can manage this. Which, by the way, it was like I I would have thought that in the hospital they would have gave me like a tutorial. Yeah, you and then would. Like they give me a tutorial there, and then they watch me do it to right. make sure I'm doing it right, and then have the nurse supervise at right. home and walk me through it and everything. And instead, it's like here I'm like googling right. things. Like, well, let me get on YouTube. And it out. In the, in the <laughs> I was literally getting on YouTube and googling <laughs> things to figure out how to care for myself. And and uh, like for me, the whole thing was and and I don't know that there's probably some considerations made that's like oh this guy seems young and right. healthy enough or whatever. But because sometimes I'm like I was thinking. I was like, well, how do people that are diabetic and they're smokers right. and they're not in good shape and they don't have good manual dexterity and right. and everything else and, and like I'm I'm a bright enough guy. Right. Like, what about people that maybe aren't? Right. Uh, That's why those people end up lo- losing their feet and you didn't. <laughs> I guess. Right. I guess so. It seems crazy that there isn't. Yeah. yeah the, the whole process seemed. Um, insane to me, but um, I'm I'm very happy that I I still have a foot, um, and it, and you guys did a fantastic job. Oh, this was the the one. Uh, last, we'll wrap up in a minute here. Um, but it, the other thing was that I I'm just remembering 
was the um was the pain after the surgery this is i woke up from surgery and i woke up to going Oh no! I was like, "Oh, this hurt!" And and the nurse came over, and she's like, "Oh, are you in pain?" The, the doctor didn't think you were going to be in pain. I'm like, "Oh no, I'm in lots and lots of pain right." I don't now. know why she said that. I I never would ever say that somebody wouldn't be in pain after I just cut their foot open and and remove part of their foot. Yeah, right. yeah. She it, well, maybe that was like my foggy. Memory no, no, she probably did say that. It, it was something like that. Mm. I was like, no, I'm in a lot of pain right, right now, and um, it, it, you know, it's it's like I, I get I get the pain pills stuff, and right. like people will take. I mean, I, I there were a couple times when I took a few more pain pills than I probably needed because I was like. I'm pretty bummed out today right. and I am in pain and right. I just want to like have a good right. a good day. I've been depressed for two weeks right. straight. Right. And, I, it, and it actually was like, I was like, oh, hey, the world's not all bad. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Things are going to work. And I get a ton of work. Right. I mean, I guess that's the danger with those painkillers because you're so functional. Right. And, and like you're nice to everybody. And Well, I think that... Uh, it, the where you get in trouble is not for that. That's a reasonable way to take the pain medicine. Right. It's when you stop taking it because you need to be functional and you take it because you're already functional, but you want that feeling, that that euphoric feeling, like kind of like you know being drunk or whatever. Yeah. The high. When you're going for the high, that's when you get hooked. Right. People right. who are in pain, they can take as much pain medicine as they want. They'll never get hooked. Yeah, because it's, I mean, I remember originally the mm-hmm. first surgery, like the first week, I was on some pretty heavy duty stuff. Right. And there was nothing fun about it. Right. It, it was <laughs> right. like, like I was just like dizzy and confused right. a lot. And I'd actually, like, I don't normally smoke very much weed, mm-hmm. hardly ever, but I got some medical weed there, right. which was like, just incredible actually right. for the I had never actually had marijuana for a legitimate medical purpose right. in my entire life and I had no idea how much pain it uh, it helps it, with it, yeah. in my personal experience well I think I think a lot of people feel that way I think it does I think it probably does uh, but well I when I originally I and I'm not please don't, I don't want I'm not putting you in any no, kind no, of position fine. to say anything but but I'm just walking through my experience when i originally so i had to crawl down a mountain for like three hours and i got back to the car and i just happened to through a series of circumstances which doesn't matter i happened to have uh 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 like a vaporizer in my car that i wouldn't normally i got it as a gift from someone like the night before (laughs) and i just happened to have everything happens for a reason right yeah and uh, and so that was all that i had for paint until i got to the hospital which was like a half hour away and it took me from like a nine to like an eight, maybe even seven and a half, which when you're at a nine, you'll take whatever, <laughs> right. whatever right. you can get. Um, and, and so, so yeah, I, I suppose it, that must be an interesting part of trying to measure who, right. who can, you can, you can kind of tell who's going to need a little bit more pain medicine, who's going to need a little bit less pain medicine. Yeah. You can tell who you, but uh, I'll tell you that normally women are a lot tougher than men. 
Really? Yeah. I don't know what it is about them. Maybe it's the childbearing thing, so they have a higher pain tolerance. Even the That's ones. That's interesting. And the people who say they have a high pain tolerance are the ones who need the most pain medication. Oh, so, really? So, yeah. If you want to get a doctor on on edge to, <laughs> and think that you don't have a pain tolerance, tell them you have a high pain tolerance. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Right. Um, yeah, because I was—I probably was one of those guys that considered myself of having. You never said that. Uh, yeah, you I, just said I don't want to lose my foot. That's yeah, all you said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, just do just whatever, do whatever I have right? To do. Yeah, I don't want to lose my <laughs> foot. Did I get, receive like a average amount of like nothing special? Normal, yeah. right? Normal. Okay. Um, the, those pick lines, I will say, when they first put the pick lines, because they go right into right. your heart, right? Yeah. And then the first time they gave me IV, because I think I woke up after like sleeping forever, right. and I, I woke up and I was like already like, oh no, I, I haven't gotten pain medi- medicine in a while, and I hit, and they gave me the whatever the liquid. Yeah, the, the dilated or whatever. Dilated. Yeah, that went right into my heart. The, the <laughs> That'll jumpstart like, your day. I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> that is that is insane." <laughs> so, I mean, I I guess I can see what people. It, it's more of like a feeling of like love, right? Um, I think I, everybody reacts a little bit differently to it. It's just like when you drink. You know, you have happy drinkers and you have belligerent drinkers. It, I think it's the same way with that stuff. It felt like. Yeah. My body was like cuddling with me, or something <laughs> like that. Like I was cuddling with myself, or something like that. Was was the right. was the feeling? It was weird. Um, so, do you uh, how um, do you have a guess? People people have been asking me now. I've been on this cane since I got your approval to get mm-hmm. off the crutches a couple weeks ago, or three weeks ago. Yeah, maybe. three weeks ago. Um, and I started using the cane, uh, and I I got rid of the. I stopped using the crutches um, almost two weeks ago now, or uh, yeah, about almost two weeks ago. Do you have any idea how long I'll be rocking this cane for if you were to take a crazy ballpark? I'm not going to hold you to it. I think probably another three weeks to a month. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful news. Usually because what's hurting you now is that you haven't walked on that bone for so long. So the bone is a living thing. So when it doesn't see pressure, it will start to resorb some of the calcium and put the calcium into other bones that need it more and so then the bone gets used to not having pressure on it so then when you start walking on it again it's sore and it Ah. swells and things like that so that is going to get better as you get walking on it more and more so like a little bit of inflammation and everything that's all normal normal yeah okay even to see some bruising in there is normal um it's just your body's getting your that bone is getting used to being walked on again Okay, good. So, yeah. Well, I'm very excited. Right. Thank you, Dr. Shaw, for no fixing problem. me. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you guys ever are in a motorcycle injury <laughs> uh, um, around the uh, Woodland Hills <laughs> area, make sure and look up uh, Dr. Nareep Shaw. Um, thanks so much for coming yeah, no on the problem. program. Oh, uh, before we leave, quick, uh, the charity of the week this week is the uh, Shriners Hospital for Children. A wonderful. Yeah. Um, and I'll put uh, I'll put some information on the Here We Are Podcast dot com website, and you guys can learn more. Uh, we've all heard of the 
Shriners. Right. They're a wonderful organization. So go and check that out and and um, and do some good so that um, uh, uh, Dr. Shaw's inspired you guys to do even more good than him just fixing my foot. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you guys for listening. And I'll see you next week. Next week on the program, we talk, amongst other things, we talk a lot about the paleo diet, which was unexpected. We weren't planning on talking about it, but uh, we ended up turning into a, a great conversation. You know, there's a billion diets out there. How do you know which one is for you? You want to do the right thing. You want to take care of yourself. And you hear a million different things on the news, and everyone makes all these claims. Well, uh, now you'll get to hear what um, scientist Aaron Blaisdell at the uh, at UCLA um, thinks about all of this. A really good episode, so make sure and tune in for that. say uh seinfeld was on an island yeah. and he was blowing boris karloff what would it what would that be like <laughs> it might go something like this oh mr karloff i loved you and frankenstein and i love giving you a blowjob why mr seinfeld I'd love having you 